Planet Pod, essential listening for everyone who cares about the planet. Our relationship with food stretches the world's resources to its limit. Globally, we waste a third of all food produced, yet research from the Food Foundation shows that 9% of the UK lived in food poverty in 2021. With a global population set to hit 10 billion by 2050, feeding the population without devastating the planet is one of the biggest problems facing humanity today. You're listening to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter, and we're continuing our conversation around sustainability in the food system and supply chain as part of the Sustainable Food Conference podcast series. My guests today are well-placed to help tackle that key question, how is our food industry set to change and adapt to cope with the challenge of feeding the population without devastating the planet? I'm delighted to welcome Sophia Condes, who's an investment outreach manager at FAIR, a collaborative investor network that raises awareness of risks and opportunities associated with intensive animal agriculture. Before joining FAIR, she led the Innovation Finance Programme at Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition Gain. Sophia, hi, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Amanda. Delighted to be here with you today. And my second guest, Lana Ivanovic, is the CSO of InnovoPro, a company that develops cutting-edge plant-based ingredients, specifically chickpeas. She has over 20 years of experience leading research teams in academic and industrial settings. Lana, hello, welcome. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Sophia. Glad to be here with you. Um, It's fantastic to have you both here. And and we're looking at two very different parts of the food supply chain and and the food issue. Um, And I just wondered if I might start with you, Sophia, just tell us a little bit about FAIR and what it is that you do and what your kind of main mission in life is. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for for having me here today. Um, So, yeah, for those of you that are not familiar with the FAIR initiative, we are a nonprofit organization. We were founded six years ago with the intention of providing investors with insightful and impactful data Uh, on the risks and opportunities associated with food systems. Uh, And we have a collaborative investor network that now counts over 300 investors with more than 49 trillion in combined assets. And what we do for that network is that we provide the network uh, with tools, so analytical tools, benchmarking tools. We provide it with uh, thematic reports, and we also facilitate collaborative engagements so that the investors can have a dialogue with the companies they want to see change in. Um, so yes, our main our, our main focus is to use the investor influence to be able to uh, see the change we want to see in food systems. Okay, so you're bringing investors. So we're talking about big banks, pension funds, private equity businesses, people with personal huge personal wealth into a system that already exists to produce food. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. So most of our members are uh, the largest institutional investors. So as you pointed out, large banks, pension funds, uh, large asset managers, insurance companies that already have a lot of exposure to companies within the food industry and that want to understand how to assess where are the risks and opportunities and how to distinguish which companies are doing their homework and actually kind of taking some of this environmental, social governance risks into consideration, and which are the companies that are kind of staying regressive and kind of still thinking that the world hasn't changed and that they need to put attention into these issues and change part of their business model to adopt best practices. 
So before FAIR was launched, um, uh, the ESG industry, which is very closely aligned to the whole sustainable finance industry, had done a lot of work providing investors with that information for many other industries. Maybe one to flag is the energy industry. However, there was a big gap when it came to the food sector. Uh, so investors didn't have the right tools to understand what best practice look like and what they should be considering as material risks. And that's the gap that FAIR uh, was launched to fill. Okay. I think possibly a, a cynical listener to the podcast mm-hmm. might say, oh, well, yes, you're talking about pension funds, you're talking about asset managers, you're talking about people with huge amounts of income and wealth to spend. And their primary purpose in life is to make a profit and to um, to return the best possible profit on their investment. And while they'll look at risk, they'll look at risk in terms of risk to that potential to turn a profit rather than looking at it from a perspective of sustainability and um, risk or, or, or damage to the actual, you know, industry itself or the production of food itself in terms of, you know, the, the bits at the end, in which case is livestock, because a lot of your work is around livestock, isn't it? I mean, 70% of food animals globally are raised in intensive farming systems. And that represents, you know, high returns for an investor. So how are we marrying up the need to do more to prevent intensive farming, which we've all agreed is not good either for the animals being farmed, nor in fact for the planet, and that desire to make a profit for an investor? Yeah, so I think that is a very, I mean, it it is a very important question, but I think I would turn it around by saying that many of these risks, and especially the risks that FAIR focuses on, have a material financial impact for these companies. So it means that it is not just about this is an environmental issue and you should think about it because you want to do good in the world. It is also from the lens of an investor is this is an environmental issue and this is an issue that will present a financial risk for your portfolio if it's unaddressed. And when we think about, yes, these are people that are wealthy. Actually, I would just argue uh, pension funds are uh, where we all have our money, no matter how big or small. So actually, it's kind of using that really the, the, the role of FAIR is that we aim to harness the power of capital markets to drive this transition we want to see in the food system. So to give you an example, before we were launched, most of our investors had put a lot of money into intensive animal farming uh, without considering how much of that money was being used in ways that can harm animals, people, and the planet, and also present risks that mean that when one of these companies ends up in a newspaper with a headline, this company drives deforestation in the Amazon, it means reputational risk, it means loss of their market share, it means that consumers will want to shun away that product, etc. So it is actually ends up being a financial risk. So I guess it's a combination of, yes, we want to, like, we want to provide this information in a way that changes planet, uh, the planet and kind of improves planetary health. But the tool that we use is a very pragmatic tool because it is about not just doing what's great for the planet, but also doing what will be great to have kind of this long-term horizon of preservation of financial returns. Okay, that can uh, that makes sense to me. I guess I, I guess I would then say, um, wouldn't it be better if those investors took their money and gave them to to Lana? because her product doesn't have a huge carbon footprint, I'm assuming, and it doesn't involve any intensive rearing of livestock. Does it, Lana? 
Exactly, yes. So thank you uh, for bringing this up. Yes, we are very passionate about sustainability in, in Alvopro and really looking for these solutions, bringing food that is healthy for humans and for planet. So this is a big movement that is happening, providing this type of food that uh, it's already there, but we are just maybe preparing it a little bit differently. So chickpeas, for example, have been in human diet for over 10,000 years. So this is nothing novel, but the new thing is preparing the protein from chickpeas or, or other ingredients from chickpea in such a way that consumers can use it in, in different formats, in different food categories. So it's becoming more available for a variety of applications in food. Mm -hmm. And yes, chickpea is a very... Uh, very special plant um, that is truly healthy for, for soil because it captures nitrogen from atmosphere, from air, and brings it in its own metabolism to, to create amino acids and proteins. And the rest of this nitrogen goes down again to soil, enriching soil. So this is a really good, good way, something that Sophia was saying, right, to find the sustainable solutions for bringing food to, to consumers. And on top of that, I would like to add that we are all aware that human population is increasing. So it's not only that we have a problem right now with our 7.5 7 billion people, that we are going to, to have 9 or 10 billion people on this planet by 2050. So it's not only shifting the way how we are eating, but actually adding much more food that will be needed. And I think that's probably the problem, isn't it? That's where the crux of the issue comes. I mean, um, you know, there are a large number of people who don't want to eat, cease to eat meat. There are people who want to have meat in their diet and our drive for cheap food, particularly cheap meat, has meant that we do um, support intensive farming, which is largely, you know, fairly you know the outcomes aren't great for the for the for the, for the cattle and the pigs um but also the impact in terms of the plant is quite significant because we know that that's intensive farming as you said you know they could be in areas of rainforest which is cut down for, for farming um intensively or or the the food production to feed the animals that are kept in intensive situations so so how much is fair working to actually say we should be doing less intensive farming. The answer is not just to, you know, protect you, the investors' risk, so you don't get a bad headline. It's actually to change the industry and make the industry different. Yes. So I think there's um, investors have several tools to be able to uh, be part of this change that we want to see. So maybe the first tool uh, that is a very important one is supporting uh, companies like Lana's company. Like this is where, like, we want to see investors. Uh, really kind of giving that patient capital that you need to growth. You are in kind of your growth trajectory. And we have been doing a lot of advocacy in terms of showcasing not only the risk, but also the opportunities because companies like Lana's company are an opportunity. They will be one of the main sources of food that we will see in a growing population that is not only uh, good for the environment, but good for health. However, we need to face kind of the big players in the room, right? When we think about big meat and big food, they're not going away anytime soon. So how do we change those companies? So one, one tool is how do we kind of finance those new technologies, those innovative companies that are disrupting the system? But the other tool is how do we change the big established players that are already here? And we can do, investors can do this in a, in a few different ways. For some examples include investors integrating such risks into their company valuations, 
which means that those companies that have higher risks and refuse to change will be facing a higher cost of capital. Then they can also use their voting rights as shareholders to propose changes in corporate practices of those companies. We have seen a lot of, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the news in the last few weeks about investors uh, pushing McDonald's to do more on animal welfare. Uh, this is like one, one avenue that investors can take. And then another important avenue is just using their influence to dialogue with these companies and convince them that the practices which harm the planet will make them less investable. And I think that is like really important to consider that these investors that we mentioned are really important in changing the largest publicly listed food companies because most of them, their main shareholders are institutional investors. So investors in a way are the owners of these companies and have that, that lever of change. And this is kind of the what, what FAIR does. It uses that lever of change to encourage those companies to adopt best practices. And I think to your question on in less intensive animal agriculture, I mean, and a concrete example is we have been running an investor engagement focused on sustainable proteins. And what we do through that engagement is that we ask uh, 25 large manufacturers um, and uh and food retailers to diversify their protein exposure away from an over-reliance on animal proteins. So it means the Tesco's, the Nestle's, the Unilever's of the world, we ask them to adopt more plant-based meat alternatives, not only to respond to consumer demand, but also as a key strategy in mitigating the climate risks that I had mentioned earlier. Okay, that's good. So you, you're saying to those investors as a way of moving away from intensive animal farming agriculture with all of the intendant carbon emissions and, and difficulties and the, the, the poor quality that many of these animals are kept in and the, you know, the antibiotic resistance and things, moving away from that and saying, actually find an alternative to put into your into your products. And we actually had someone from, from Unilever and Noor on the program recently who was talking about just that and just how you achieve that. Um, but I guess for, for you, Lana, this is music to your ears, because if we're replacing animal protein, one of the things we can replace it with, presumably, is chickpea protein. Exactly, right? So chickpeas have been in our diet for many years. So this is nothing new. The good thing that is happening with all this movement and investment in, in developing new technologies is making it available in different formats, in different ways. So what we are doing, we are extracting the protein in a format of 70% protein concentrate. So it can be easily used in vegan yogurt or as a egg replacers or even plant-based meats. So something that is already available, we are just creating different ways to, to make it more available for a wider range of consumers. You're saying that, and, and I, you know, I have, have encountered the chickpea water, you know, debate. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of chickpeas, but the chickpea water leaves me cold, that one, I'm afraid. But how is it that you take, how is it that you take that protein and turn it into something that becomes a meat replacement without it feeling yes. like a really artificial chemical process. I'm just intrigued because a chickpea is a very, you know, a chickpea is a very determined thing. It's it, we all know what they look like and they have a very specific taste. And how are you, I mean, are you just, yes. it, are, are there additives going into that? How do you transform that protein of chickpea into say a, a vegan burger? Yes. So, so this is an excellent question. And this is where the science and technology development are really playing a big role, right? So, 
Brunswick University in science, there are always results. And this is a big movement. So there are different ways of extracting proteins from plant sources. We have our proprietary technology that we are very proud of and, and happy what we have. So this is a very environmentally friendly technology. We don't use any organic solvents, any any harmful chemicals that can harm either protein, consumers, or planet. So this is a very clean, green technology. Once when you have this protein in the format as it is, right, with uh, much less of, of other things that are in chickpea, mainly 70% protein, then it is a very nice protein by the nature, by the way how it is created, right, by its um, structure, then it's easily dissolved in water, can make a really nice dispersion. So if you are to make like plant-based milk or beverage, that is a really good protein that is going to hold this structure for milk. For yogurts, you can create it such that it has a good texture. For plant-based meat, yes, there are some additives, but they're again, very well chosen additives. So, um, we believe that this is a good solution. Maybe it's not the final solution. We will be continuing and developing more to find even more um, or, or better ways to, to have a creative ways to create these plant-based meats. But again, this one protein that can fit in many different food categories, ice cream, right? Meats, yogurts, and so forth, and cheese, really fantastic. So this is something that technology really helps. So something that is nature given, but then applying right technology that is green, environmentally friendly, and creating the product that is so multifunctional. This episode of PlanetPod is supported by leading international law firm, Evershed Sutherland. Tell me about the economics. I should know, but I mean, where and how does a chickpea grow? And what are the kind of economics of harvesting a chickpea and turning it into a protein? I mean, because we all know the cost, both planetary cost, but physical cost of raising, you know, the head of cattle, um, which is significant. How, how does that stack up against chickpeas? So, it's hard to compare something that is just growing as a technology, something that is relatively still a new business compared to something that is there for dozens of years. Mm. So we are aware of that. And the more we, the more consumers we have, the more uh, sales increase and the more need for production, the production will scale up and it will have the better economics. But what we really like is yet again, working with a plant, with the raw material that is really good for the planet. So it is rotational crop. Again, if you, uh, if you have corns or wheat, they will deplete soil from nitrogen. So growing chickpeas, it's something good uh, for the soil. Mm. So uh, using from local sources, if we just produce our protein from the places where chickpeas is grown, then the transportation uh, is going to be very short in, in that whole supply chain. And Lana, where, where are they grown? Yes. Are they grown, do they need specific growing environments? Do they grow yeah, here in the UK? Fascinating, right? For me, I'm still trying to understand all, all about uh, the biology of the plant itself because it's grown in India, in okay. Middle East, in Canada, right of all places. So you have Canada and you have a very warm environment. So it is very adaptable and can be grown, right? And, uh, based on, on the cultivar, it can be grown in very uh, warm climates and quite cold climates. Okay. okay. And so now economics, right? It is produced. We produce it in the way that um, it's a relatively short production line, but we have some side streams that is mainly starch or what you said, aquafaba, 
but it's different from fava beans and others. So it is very functional, but very mild taste, very, uh, very mild and almost no bitterness to it. Uh, so it has these advantages. And once when these ice streams are already in the production and already in sales and economics really balance, balances out. Mm, okay. And are there any downsides? Because chickpeas sometimes get a, they sometimes get a negative press, don't they? I mean, are they, are they, is there any downside to the chick, chick, chickpeas itself? Because it sounds to me that actually you're, what you're not doing is you're not flooding the market, if I can be the express, with chickpeas. What you're doing is you're saying we're actually processing chickpeas to create something else. So this is a, a protein process. This isn't a get everybody to buy more tins of chickpeas and make their, their, their curry from chickpeas, is it? It's more about taking it as a raw ingredient and applying exactly. it to something else. I'm not aware of any negatives, right? Uh, but what we are looking at, this is a, a plant-based protein that has no gluten. So if, if someone is considered about gluten, which is coming from wheat, uh, which is also plant-based, but this will have this benefit of uh, gluten-free. Uh, and it's also non-allergenic versus soybean or, or some other plant protein. So it, it has this benefit of really bringing something that is different and diversifying plants that are grown, right? So hopefully it will be grown even more than today. Today is about 12 million tons per, per year, which can easily be doubled uh, if we desire so. Um, so it has many benefits from uh, health uh, sides and also for application. And maybe something worth really saying about this functionality of such protein is that uh, it, the protein itself is so functional that can replace some other additives. So we tried in our product development and um, we can make products that would uh, have much shorter ingredient list, right? Thinking about desserts or yogurts or even cheeses. So it can replace additives that are currently used like thickeners or emulsifiers. So the the list of ingredients will be much shorter just by using this uh, protein that is extracted from the plant. Yeah. It, the, the humble chickpea is turning into a wonder ingredient here. I'm, I'm you know, had never occurred to me that you could do all of that with chickpeas. Um, Sophia, can I ask you about how what you do relates to to, to the, perhaps the average consumer? Because I can see that you know your work is very much about looking at investors, and I'm aware that that you know that's an important part of the of the kind of market. But is there any is there any element of the work that you do that is actually trying to encourage people to think? differently about intensive farming because you mentioned pensions and of course one thing we can all do is we can ask our pension providers to be greener and to invest in better greener stocks and I guess as a you know as as an individual if you ask me do I want to invest in a chickpea stock or a intensive farming animal livestock farming well I'd probably pick chickpeas because it feels instinctively better so so how can you are you part is part of what you do an education campaign for us as individuals and consumers or is it only aimed at those big corporates with with the the big checkbooks yeah so uh i think our main audience is the investor audience because we are as as i mentioned like we're really trying to to influence them as agents of change but a lot of the work that we do through reports, events, blogs is actually used by the average consumer. I get a lot of people that tell me, uh, send me emails saying, we looked at your benchmark of companies and we find this very interesting because it helps us inform where we want to shop. So I think that a lot of the resources that we provide are actually really useful for consumers, especially the consumer that wants to distinguish uh, which are the companies that are actually kind of leaders 
in this space and that are kind of sustainability leaders uh, and which are the companies that are actually, uh, yeah, it's kind of more the, the, the laggards, so the ones that are staying behind. Um, I think if you go to our website, you will see we have several benchmarks. Well, we have one main benchmark, which is called the Protein Producer Index, which ranks the 60 largest protein producers in the world uh, across 10 risks and opportunity factors, which is really useful for anybody to look at it and say kind of which are the, the leaders and laggards. And we also have another benchmark that is looking more at the manufacturers and the supermarkets. And that's also really useful for the consumer to understand if I want to look at Tesco, is Tesco doing kind of one of the leaders or is it one of the laggards, which by the way, they are one of the leaders globally. So, I mean, what are the sort of successes you've had in trying to persuade those protein manufacturers? And basically, you know, let's call it what it is. It's intensive livestock farming, isn't it? Um, You know, cattle and cows and sheep kept in intensive conditions. What successes have you had in making making them change behaviour? And are there firms, and and added to that, are there companies or are there producers that you just say, no, we would not work with them because despite what we say, they don't take any notice and they rely on antibiotics. They rely on, you know, on, on, you know, fast production turnarounds, which we know isn't good for animals, you know, fattening up quickly and sending to market. Are there, are there groups that you, farmers or producers that you just wouldn't allow your investors or encourage your investors to invest in? So our role is more to provide very factual information. Uh, we don't say this is the investor, this is the company you should be investing in, and this is the company you shouldn't be investing in. But the information we provide can be interpreted in that way. So, as an example, we, I mean, to be honest, we have seen immense change in the last five years, and that is really encouraging. This industry is experiencing a disruption and a pressure that we hadn't seen in the last 40 years. Uh, for example, we have seen an increasing number of companies in the food sector setting emissions reduction targets that are grounded in, in, in science through the science-based targets initiative. So that's, a, that's, a, that's something we are very proud to say that through our benchmarks and our investor engagements, we have pushed many of these companies to do so. So as an example, almost a third of companies that are covered by FAIR's protein producer index now have committed or set a science-based tar- based target in 2021, which was only 18% in 2020. So we are seeing a lot of work in that space. We are also seeing many investors and companies throughout the value chain becoming aware of the risk related with an overuse of antibiotics and how that drives antimicrobial resistance, which is, of course, an immense health, economic and financial risk that could have far worse consequences than what we saw with COVID-19. And this was an issue that was really under the radar before FAIR started doing this work. So we have seen some progress there. We have uh, we had an engagement with 20 restaurant companies, the largest names you can imagine, the uh, McDonald's, Domino's, et cetera, where we pushed them to adopt an antibiotics policy. It started in 2017. Um, and when we started, only one of 20 companies had an antibiotics policy. Three years later, 19 of the 20 companies had an antibiotic policy. So that is change. And we are actually really excited to see that. However, there's areas where there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So for example, in our protein producer index, we see companies scoring very poorly on risks such as water use, which is obviously a huge risk. Uh, Then we see a lot of the companies scoring very, very poorly on waste and pollution. As you can imagine, uh, intensive animal farming and farming 70 billion animals a year produces a lot of waste a lot of concentrated waste that ends up in our streams, in our rivers, in our oceans with a whole set of uh, biodiversity uh, impacts. 
And we have been one of the first to flag this as a material issue for companies to change. So there has been change. Is it enough? Not yet. There's a lot more than can be done. It does sound to me, though, as if you've done some some fantastic work, and that's great. And it's terrific news about the the supermarkets. And I don't think people are anything like aware as they should be of the the antibiotic risk that presents to human health. But but surely part of the answer would be just to, to, to deconstruct that huge intensive farming industry and say, let's just do less of that. Let's actually say, we'll take some of your money that's going into, you know, intensive cattle production and we'll put it across to chickpeas and other similar grains or pulses or, or non, non-animal products and actually remove the risk of the damage by dismantling in part the intensity and the, and the, the size of, of animal protein production. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you know, there. I guess the risk then comes to the investor is that they, you know, invested in something that no longer exists and there's no return. But, but surely, the smart money is sitting in the green camp. It's sitting in the alternative producer camp rather than in the, in the in the intensive livestock industry. So, do you, are you seeing that shift just away from that whole industry, and is that something that you think we should be encouraging? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think there's, I mean, there's kind of two ways to make that change happen. One way is to see kind of this smaller companies that are actually kind of uh, already that have already started with nature positive practices. And that's fantastic. Uh, But another way is also to transform a huge industry. Uh, So we are seeing commitments around innovation into more sustainable protein sources, including more mainly plant based proteins uh, and a transition also to more climate resilient, low carbon farming practices. And also real focus on creating kind of uh, what we call a just transition for farmers. A lot of also companies are now pledging to do more in the regenerative agriculture space, which of course involves a lot of very close work with the farmers that the, with the farmers that already are doing this and to learn from them. So we are seeing a lot, but I think that, and, and obviously the new technologies that are super exciting, which we have been encouraging for a very long time. We always tell our investors, we want to not only share the risk, we also want to share the opportunities. If you are diverting any of your capital away from this, where should it be going? There are exciting things. This is how we will feed the population uh, of 10 billion in 2050. It's not going to be the same we were doing it yesterday or the way we're doing it today. But that change, I mean, changing big companies is something that takes time. You cannot do it kind of like in in, in one day. They're, they're huge companies. So we're trying to do it. And it is part of a systemic change. But it, it needs kind of a little bit of patience for that change to happen year on year. Yeah. And that's exactly where, where, where innovators like like the work that Lana's doing and companies like exactly. that really come into it, isn't it? And that's and and Lana, just we, we should draw it to close, but I should ask you, do you as a business, do you see your growth trajectory shooting up? What's your kind of are you going to be planting chickpeas all over the world? I mean, you know, what do you think the demand is going to be like? Yes, yes. So this is definitely our our desire and our plan to do it, to, to really grow as we see fantastic response from consumers who have tried our products and, and um, companies that are making finished goods with our ingredients. So I strongly believe this is going to, to increase in volume and a variety of applications of um, chickpea proteins and, and uh, other ingredients coming from plants. Yeah, and absolutely. if I may just say something, if you learn something from these last two years of, of these um, situations that, that the whole planet was in, right? And if you 
think about 10 years ago, no one would believe that the vaccine can be developed within a year. So when once when we put brains and money into the right cause, the solutions will come. So I'm Absolutely. sure that we do believe yeah. in this, we'll, we'll find solutions. Yeah. And, 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 and now, Lonnie, you know who to go to for the money. If you're looking for, <laughs> if you're, this is a matchmaking service, if you're looking for, if you're looking for more investment, then, then fair, fair will point you in the right that's exactly right and I I just wanted to come in and say that because you need the technology you need the great ideas but you need the capital for those ideas to actually uh, reach scale so that's why we think that uh, and and a lot of what we do as well if you go to our website you'll see we showcase examples of some of the entrepreneurs like yourself uh, Lana that are doing fantastic work in providing more environmentally friendly more nutritious protein solutions and we all always kind of share that as like, there's a lot that is happening. And, and as investors, you should be looking in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So there we are. Call for investors. Look, think outside the outside the cattle feed bo- feed box and look at plant based technologies. And and a, and a call for all of us to think about being prepared to try different elements of protein in our diet and be a little bit more open to that. And and I'm sure that that's something that big mainstream food manufacturers will be putting um, will be looking at as well. Um, so Lana and Sophia, thank you so much. Absolutely fascinating. And another aspect of the food industry that I just think very often, you know, those of us wandering around the supermarket in a daze do not consider. So it's fascinating to see that there's these great players, you know, these big scale players at work. So Lana, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Amanda. It was a real pleasure talking with you and, and with Sophia. And I really hope we'll, we'll connect again soon with our updates. Yeah. And thank, thank you too you. to Sophia. Really interesting to hear what you've been up to. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here today to also learn more about uh, Lana's work and yeah, to get your very well thought questions. Uh, yeah. So even and I encourage you all to to look at the work that we're doing in our website and, and happy to stay in touch. Absolutely. So yeah, do check, listeners, do check out um, the FAIR website. Obviously, you can find all the links in all of the usual places on our Planet Pod website. Um, thank you to Jim, our producer, executive producer, and Beth, our producer, and obviously to the team at the Sustainable Food Conference. Uh, there are going to be many more fascinating conversations at that event, I'm sure, and we'll be picking up on them. You've been listening to Planet Pod, saving the world one chickpea at a time. Thank you for listening and joining us again soon. Goodbye. Planet Pod is brought to you by Akil Management. My thanks to our producer, Jim Haywood, and our researcher, Beth Palmer. And to you, our listeners. Without you, we'd be very lonely. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at planet underscore pod or visit our website. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you with ideas for future programs. Thanks for listening.